Hi, welcome to the Church Split. My name is Will, and let's talk about a topic that'll definitely split your church. In fact, that's the very cause of it. It's actually, the, I would say this particular topic, in my experiences with church splits, is exactly the thing that causes them. It's, it's that fork in the road. Uh, it, you know, people can say, go right, and follow this, or they can go over here and go left. And, you know, everyone always has their own excuse, but it's always on path left. It's always, you know, someone could say, I don't like the pastor's stance on this. I don't like what Sister Susie said at the potluck. They can say, I didn't like the color of the drapes. They can say they didn't like the church's stance on X, Y, and Z, or any number of things. There could be a lot of things that cause a church splits that people use as the excuse, but the real cause of it is right here. It's the discussion of unity and how to handle conflict. This right here is the topic. And it's funny because Jesus, almost like he's the son of God or something, knew what God was going, that knew that the body of Christ was going to mess this up, that people are naturally stiff-necked and prideful and aren't gonna follow through with this. So I wanna just hop right into this and start talking all the way through. So Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. Jesus says this, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth, shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Most people really, when they come to Matthew 18 at this particular part, talk about that very ending, you know, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them, but they forget the context of the rest of it. Uh, this is this very situation is, that Christ is talking about here is to avoid splitting in the brothers of Christ and the sisters of Christ and the entire body. The whole point here is to to how to handle conflict. And what does he say? If a brother trespasses against you, go between him and you alone. In other words, go privately. Speak personally and privately and directly with them. Which means that you can't go gossiping to all your friends first and get a whole group of people all riled up and then go talk to the person. That's not how this works. It doesn't mean you get to go ambush them. In fact, oddly enough, I had one person that was upset with me about a joke that I was that was cracked about someone and I was in the room of. So if someone cracked a joke about someone, I was in the room. And they got upset with me about this joke that I wasn't even involved in, but I did correct the record of. And then instead, they ambushed me in my own room, in my own office with like the, not only the people that, that the joke was about, but then their parents and this whole nine yards thing, got the deacons there and completely bypassed Matthew 18, didn't come talk to me to find out whether or not what was said was true. And it's, it's really funny how often this, this happens. The whole point of Matthew 18 is to avoid the taking of sides. That way it's not us versus them. All right, we gotta stick it to the man. It's not about that, it's about, hey, whoa, if he's your brother and he's truly sinned against you, go talk to him. Go, go deal with it. And here's the thing. Uh, then he says that if they actually trespass against you. Trespass means to sin. This isn't, oh, I didn't like that. I, I would prefer not that. Uh, in my opinion, that this, this is kind of wrong or inappropriate. It's, is it sinful? And that is, that is 
a good question to ask. Okay, if I'm going to go make a big fuss about this, am I, gonna, am I making a fuss about this because they sinned against me or am I being easily offended? Am I kind of being the snowflake Christian? Uh, is it something that I, am I just not respecting someone's liberty or is it actually sinful? If it's sinful, then I am obligated, according to Christ, to go talk to them. If it's not sinful, then maybe you shouldn't even make a fuss about it because that's not what Christ is talking about. Christ isn't saying that if you didn't get your preference or if you didn't get that which you like or prefer or view as. He simply says that which is sinful, which means it has to be caught in the boundaries of scripture. And what's funny is that right after this, right after this uh, part where he talks about sinning against your brother, bringing a witness and all that, he moves on and talks about forgiving your brother as well, which is the whole, because he, Jesus talks about this, about approaching your brother. And then Peter, thinking, being Peter, goes, well, okay, so we're supposed to confront one another. Yeah, but how long much am I supposed to forgive them? All right, so he, you know, you could definitely tell he was making the next logical leap. Like, okay, I'm supposed to confront them, and then if they repent of it, then I've gained my brother. But what? how many times am I supposed to do this? How many times am I supposed to forgive him? And what does Christ say? And he goes seven, and Peter goes seven times, and Christ goes not seven times, but seventy times seven. And you know that's a big thing that we talk about in scriptures, forgiving people constantly, but we always forget the the conflict resolution at the beginning, which means that you cannot bypass Matthew eighteen. So let me tell you this: if you've been upset at your pastor, church member, friend, family member, and you have never ever followed followed through with Matthew eighteen, and all you do is gossip and bicker and complain or leave or avoid you are directly disobeying the commands of Christ himself. And I know that sounds pretty harsh, but there's been times, uh, there's one time that a rumor was going around at church during one of the church splits I've experienced, and one family refused to meet with me because what they heard through the grapevine. They never talked to me about it. They may cause this giant fuss about it with all these people. And then they, they, they moved. They actually were moving, so they moved. They sent me their resignation letter without an address. And they blocked my number, blocked me online, and refused to meet with me ever, even though that they were talking to one of the deacons, and they were even telling the deacon, nope, we don't want to. And they basically said, because he can defend himself really well scripturally, and we just don't want to deal with him. And it's like, well, the, and, the, he's, and you know, he's probably right, and this, 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 in these areas, or if nothing else, he's going to think he's right, and he's really good with his words. And basically what they were saying was, yeah, yeah, we know that he's going to probably be able to stick us in a corner, so we don't want to meet with him. <laughs> which is very telling when you refuse to meet with somebody or when you avoid them if it shows more about your heart than that person's heart because it shows that you must not be very confident in your position to be able to talk to them in the first place so uh this this is really important and then he so he mentions okay if they don't if they don't uh confess or repent go with them two or three witnesses then if they don't what does it say tell it to the church which this goes against most things that we hear about right like if somebody really messes up in church people try to sweep it under the rug in fact i'll be honest i've been guilty of that before where i'm like oh, i don't want to run that person's reputation through the mud so i don't want to tell anybody and oddly enough the bible says no if they don't repent we're supposed to tell it to the church and not only that i mean we see paul call pe call paul the words i need words Paul calls people out by name in his own letters, which is crazy. It's really funny when you read the end of Philippians, he, he does that. He's like, all right, and by the way, all these wonderful things, but you two get your act together, figure it out. Anyway, but this, 
Also, like this is also why we're told, uh, this very situation is why we're told in James 1.21 that he says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. He says, put away these things, you know, put away filthiness and rampant wickedness. And he talks a lot in James chapter three as well about the tongue and the dangers of it. Because he knows that if you don't settle these issues and you just go around telling and bickering about it, that you're just going to cause more and more problems stirring up a pot and you're not resolving anything you're just causing more conflict and so if you, someone has sinned against you you just talk to them directly about it and you do it right away don't sit there and oh, that's another thing like don't sit on it don't sit on it for months on end without talking to the person and then finally one day be like oh I need to talk to them no settle it take care of it because how can unity prosper when there is a wedge growing between you and a brother and if you let that wedge keep growing and growing and growing and growing and that brother here's the thing your brother in christ might be completely clueless about some of these things let's be honest we've all sinned ignorantly against somebody so this wedge is growing he doesn't know then one day you finally snap on him and you and you just go off well then the problem is now you have provoke them to wrath and you haven't given this person even ample time to talk to you about these. So you have to be wise about this. Like, okay, I have this issue with them. I need to go talk to them about this now before it grows bigger. I've been able to prevent a lot of issues in, the, in my church by pushing this. Hey, pastor, did you hear so-and-so? Nope. I don't want to hear about it. Have you talked to them about it themselves yet? Well, no, go talk to them before you talk to me. And this has actually, this has saved me from being too busy. And it's also helped people to mature in their own faith. Because you know what that means you have to do? It means you have to humble yourself to talk to them. And it's actually very, it's really funny. If you have a sin to bring up to them, it's really interesting how it ends up humbling you at the same time. Because you're actually forced to handle it in a loving fashion. Because in Galatians 6.1 says to restore them, but with, a spiritual, with, but with a spirit of gentleness. So anyway, uh, Hebrews 12, 14 through 15 also says this, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. By it, many become defiled. What do people get defiled by here is a root of bitterness. You get angry, you let something swell, you're not dealing with it, it's just festering. And what does he say to do? No, stop. Go talk to them and strive for peace with everyone. Which means if you instantly escalate a situation, uh, I, I can tell I, every pastor has had stories where people explode on them. I remember I was in my first nine months of my, uh, of my senior pastorate and a guy just randomly went off on me. And to this day, I have no idea what he was on about. <laughs> like I've literally like played that through multiple times and I'm like, none of that. I don't understand where any of that came from. But it's because, it, it, but what happened there is no one was striving for, he wasn't striving for, for peace. And, you know, I can sit, definitely say there's been times in my past where I haven't strived for peace. You know, I used to be, this might be a surprise to you, as someone who's caused, started, not caused, someone who started a channel called The Church Split and loves to have these discussions and these debates. Before I got to the point where I could appreciate the discussion, I used to be instead very cantankerous and combative with it. Well, now I've actually learned how to, you know, approach it in a better light and I actually learn, learn from it. But I, we all need to strive for peace with everyone, as it says right here, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If we aren't seeking peace with each other, 
no one will see the Lord. And see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. So he's saying, hey, don't hinder this. If you're not being peaceful with each other, you are hindering this. It's very important that we learn how to be unified and that we learn how to deal with one another because the body of Christ is complicated. You know, our bodies are very complicated. They're more complicated than the most advanced rocket or satellite that we can find, right? It's yet, Christ compares us to the body, his body, the body of Christ. We are complicated, which means there's going to be a lot of complicated scenarios that come up, especially add on top of that, that we aren't righteous in and of ourselves, that we are saints who sin. So you add that factor in there, and yeah, we're going to have a lot of mistakes, but he still tells us to work in unity and to go to our brothers one-on-one. 1 Corinthians 12, 25-27 says this, that there be, may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We are called to be the body of Christ. We ought to be able to be respectful, loving, and caring toward one another and bear one another's burdens. That means when we mess up as well. And when someone messes, when my friend messes up, when my brother messes up, it's amazing how when, like, if you make a mistake, you want grace, right? Oh man, I really messed up. Please show me some grace. But when someone else messes up, you don't want to show grace. Have you noticed that? It's, it's an innate human sinful nature about us. And I can't tell you how many times it's like, all right, I, I, how many times when I've seen someone show grace and it's been returned with just a spit in the face. And whenever that happens, and when that happens to me, I get, as I start getting me, it gets to me. I'll get angry. But then I think how often we do that to God. He shows, he shows us unending grace and we continue to choose sin sometimes. How frustrating that must be on God's behalf. Like, I can't imagine that because, I mean, me as a sinful person gets upset with that. And yet him being holy and righteous has that happen to him continually by his people. But anyway... Paul then continues to talk about the different gifts that everyone has and how he will show them a more excellent way. And he heads straight into the chapter of love. See, that's the thing. That reference I just read about, that there be no division in the body, is 1 Corinthians 12. And he talks about their gifts. And it's like, oh, the gifts of tongues, the gifts of prophecy, the gifts of teaching. Not everyone has these things. Which also means that we all are going to be geared differently. We're all going to be wired slightly differently. But then he goes, but let me show you a more excellent way. And then he talks about 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter. We all know it. You know, that's the whole, you know, love seeks not its own. You know, love builds up. It doesn't tear down. We, we see these at weddings. And it's often quoted at weddings and uh, in cute little cards with people. Is the first Corinthians 13, but we forget that it is first talking about unity. Let me show you a more excellent way. Love one another. And when you really think about the idea of uh, we are creating the image of God, it means each human is an image bearer of God, which means that they deserve the same amount of love that I would show anyone else, even when they mess up. And also, I need to show them the same amount of love when they mess up that I want shown when I mess up. But a lot of times we don't want to do that. It's a very one-sided road. If you don't learn to love, confront, and show grace to your brother, John actually says you don't love God. Let this sink in for two seconds. 1 John 4, 20-21 says this, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he seen, 
whom he's seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's actually those. If I'm pretty sure if I said this at some point, just like off the cuff, a lot of people would be like, whoa, that's really intense, Pastor Will. Why would you say that? But it says right here, if anyone loves God and hates his brother, he's a liar and the love of God isn't in him. That's because you, the, you can't sit there and claim the love of God and the grace of God on your own life and then not show that love and grace of God to someone else and still claim the name of God. The name of God means that love and mercy is, it shows no partiality, no matter how bad it is. God loves them and he loves you and we are all filthy sinners that are saved. So if you have bitterness, and here's the thing, a lot of times people, there's a differentiation between bitterness and hatred, but at the same time, they are, they are on the same parallel streak. They're running right side by side with each other. If you're bitter at somebody, you're getting really close to hating them. So we have to be careful to rid ourselves of bitterness and to show grace and mercy toward one another when these situations come up. After all, Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You want to receive mercy? Show mercy. That means even if you're justified in it, like let's say you're actually justified, like yeah, I definitely, that person was wrong for what they did to me. Well, show mercy, because the merciful shall receive it. And James 4, 1 actually talks exactly what the problem is. So why is it that these quarrels come up? Why is it that these fights come up in churches? Well, for James 4, 1 says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? It's this old spirit versus the flesh. It's the old nature versus the new nature. That's what causes these fights. And if you are not willing to set your flesh aside and go make peace with your brother, then you're going against scripture. And I'm not just saying, okay, yeah, I made, well, yeah, we talked and we made peace, but then we, I just stopped talking to him. Oh, I avoided him. I, I switched to a different church. Oh, but I forgave him. If you forgave him, then you wouldn't be avoiding him. <laughs> like it's that simple. You know, if I forgave someone, I'm not going to avoid them. I might not trust them right now. I might be like, okay, I'm not sure where I stand with you right now as far as that's concerned. Uh, trust has to be built, rebuilt maybe, but it doesn't mean that you avoid them. It's, it's really funny how we, we try to find our little wiggle worm ways to get out of stuff. It's just stop trying to find loopholes. Make peace with your brother. Likewise, uh, and it says in 1 Peter 5, 5, he says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Again, I said this before, but oftentimes we want grace when we mess up, but we don't want to show grace when someone else messes up. Well, guess what? Right there. Uh, he, God gives grace to who? The humble. In order to humble yourself, it means you also have to go, you know what? I I might, I feel like I have the right to accuse you and to judge you and condemn you, but actually I don't. I must humble myself because I too am a sinner saved by grace as you are. And God gives peace and grace to the humble, but he will always resist the proud. So when you're being prideful and haughty, like, oh, I'm going to, I'm just going to, you know, point my finger at my brother as opposed to trying to make peace with your brother. Then what you're essentially having is you're just having a spirit of pride. And you know what? You, here's what's funny. It's all about motive. 
you can have every right to say that something was wrong. That was sinful what he did. Good, yeah, we are told to discern that which is righteous and that which is unrighteous. We're told to judge righteously on that fact. But if you're going in there with an accusing, angry, bitter heart, as opposed to one of love and gentleness of wanting to restore your brother, then that's where you went wrong. It's all about motive. So but when you go to talk to your brother, you need to do so humbly, remembering that you are just a sinner saved by grace, same as them. And here's the thing. This is required if you want your church to be successful and unified. You don't want your church to be broken anymore. You want your church to be restored. Do you want to see your pastor or your deacons or your friends, your brothers, your sisters in Christ torn down? No. Then follow this doctrine. You have to follow Matthew 18, man. If you don't follow this, your, your life's going to be a disaster. And in fact, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 says this, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So it means to be worthy, notice that, in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Here's the thing. Paul can't make it any clearer than that right there. You want to be worthy of the calling on your life? You want to be worthy, right? Then you need to, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. And I like the, how the bearing one another's burdens. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't say tolerating. Conveniently, it doesn't say tolerating one another's burdens. It says bearing them. You know what that means? I see that load of yours is heavy. So instead of taking that load and <laughs> like when you're working out and you're doing push-ups, and then someone comes up behind you and puts their foot on your back and shoves you down like that, that's what we like to do with people's sin. Like, oh, you really sinned there. Ah. And no, is what does he say? No, bear one another's burdens. Instead of seeing that sin burden that that person has, oh man. They need help. Let me go over there and lift their burden. Let me go up there and put my arm around them and hold them up as they go along. Let me let them know that I'm there with them through all their burdens, whether it's a sin in their life or whether it's a health issue or whatever it is. But this means gentleness and also means patience. You can't bear someone's burdens without needing patience because there is probably times where someone's constant problem can gnaw at you and annoy you. But that's why it says patience and why is this to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bonds of what? Peace. If there's conflict at, with you and you're creating conflict with somebody, you're not at peace. You're not eager to maintain that unity. And that's what's hard. Like it's, it's one of those things where I realize that this is a doctrine taught by the church. And when we think doctrines of ch at church, we oftentimes think, oh, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of whatever. Are you pre-trib, post-trib or whatever? Do you believe in a rapture at all? These are the things we think of doctrines, but we don't realize that, shoot, this is a doctrine as well. Our practices are doctrines. It is a doctrine to be gracious and loving and, and these things. So you can't say have one without the other. I think that's one of the biggest things that has faulted us the most, that we have separated unity, love, grace, and patience as more of a practice. Like, oh, we should be that way, but it's not a doctrine. Yes, it is. It is a doctrine. It's absolutely a doctrine. 
In fact, our disunity is embarrassing in America, in churches in America today. So it's also not, well, this guy, he really upset me. So I'm going to go to a different church. No, what is, no, what does he say? We are all part of the one body, one body, one spirit, one baptism, one God. And that he's overall and in all and through all. So it's not, well, you know what? That guy really irritated me. I'm going to go down the road to the other church. No, there's only one body. And you betraying one body or being spiteful toward your body. Actually, being spiteful toward a member of the body is betraying the body. Let's just be honest. You, you know, you can run all you want, but you're, all you're doing is running from the body of Christ into another fellowship and you're not resolving your issues. You're not learning to grow in those issues. All you're doing is learning to run away and avoid. And we say kids all, we tell kids all the time, take responsibility. Don't avoid, don't, you can't avoid problems forever. Meanwhile, half the time we Christians, we avoid each other when we get upset with each other. It's kind of pathetic when you think about it. Someone um, always asks at me as well, like, well, what if the church leadership isn't repenting? What if the church leadership is the problem? Then you still apply the same things. Am I still trying to make peace with them? Am I still trying to apply this? Am I going with them to two or three witnesses? Uh, and if so, um, you know, are they repenting? If not, am I bringing it before the church? Because, or you know what? Maybe, just maybe, you need to follow uh, also Romans 16, 17, which is this. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. And it's funny because in 1 Peter 5 as well, it tells the spiritual leadership not to be domineering over their flock. So there's, there are plenty of fail-safes in Scripture. But we first need to be following these. But honestly, like let's, so I talked a lot about unity. So when is it okay to, uh, when is it okay to break off fellowship with somebody? Well, the only time really is when it's, the, the, when what's happening is completely contrary to the doctrines that are being taught right there. You know, follow, follow through at the very end of Matthew 18. If they don't repent, there is supposed to be as you, uh, as a politician, a publican, in other words, to be shunned. And right there he says, hey, mark those that cause divisions and avoid them. And it tells us a lot to stay away from those type of people, types of people. I mean, you can read all, all of Paul's epistles and you'll find plenty of that being talked about. So yeah, if people are causing a lot of problems, avoid those people if they're the ones causing the problems and they're not repenting. In fact, I, I push this a lot at my church. You know, Matthew 18 and then if they keep causing divisions, avoid them. And I've told people before, you know, just don't, like when they keep causing problems and I've been trying to be gracious with them over a, period of, over a large period of time, but they just keep bringing it up and bringing it up and causing problems, I tell them, look, I think you need to find, you need, you need to leave until you're able to get these issues worked out and you're not going to be causing this much strife and you're not going directly against things that are being taught. And you're not repenting at all either. You're not turning away from it. And we push this. We push this pretty hard to protect our church. We have to protect our church and our body. Like I have members of my church who have gone through enough. They don't need another brother in Christ causing problems. So we need to make sure there's a balanced approach here. This is the failsafe that God has. Hey, build your unity. Humble yourself a little bit. And you know what? If someone is going against the doctrines that are being taught and they're completely all the time being quarrelsome, yeah, Mark them and avoid them. But otherwise, if it's a perfectly good Christian with a, the perfect, the best of intentions and may have just screwed up, um, yeah, you don't get to just run away from them and avoid them and mark them and 
you know, mark that, that person and avoid them. No, you are commanded to make it right with them. Big difference. And it helps you grow, it helps them grow, and it only helps bring unity and peace to the church. So this church has, um, the, the church today has to get past the whole exchanging disgruntled members thing. Like half the time churches are just exchanging one disgruntled member for another. Like, oh, one left, all right, they went. Oh, I got another one. Oh, you were upset at that church? And it's this whole constant festering. In fact, I recently had a member of the church go, you know, we kind of realized that the, our old church that we went at, they, they, we didn't resolve issues there the way we were supposed to. And it's only because that this stuff type of thing isn't tied. We can't be exchanging one disgruntled member for another one. In fact, we are commanded to, you know, gain and create and disciple new believers, not to, you know, exchange existing ones. When that's all that's happening is actually being complete, is working completely against the way God wanted us to work. The world also, here's the thing, they see our disunity. I, one of the biggest things that I deal with when I'm working with unbelievers or uh, people who used to be regulars at church but no longer are, as they talk about this all the time, well, look at all the denominations and you guys can't even get along. And you know what? They kind of have a point. Uh, in fact, I, I was recently uh, kind of critiqued because I, I've been trying to have some good conversations with some Catholics and someone's like, well, I can't believe that Will is doing that. And it's like, well, why? I'm trying to build some unity here and maybe find some common ground so that maybe, just maybe, we can unite a divided body a little bit. Maybe we can show the world that we're not as divided after all. So, and here's the thing, in Acts chapter 2, their unity, the people saw it and people came to Christ because of their unity. And I think that's a powerful testament. So, I know this is a long video. I know we've been talking about this for a while. So, I just really want to challenge you. Are you creating unity or creating disunity? Are you being quarrelsome or are you being peaceful? Ask yourself, have you humbled yourself? Are you just avoiding the conflict? I mean, I think certain people, there's two types of people that are, can be careful with here. Actually, I guess I could say three. You have one who is meek-spirited and almost scared to, for, of conflict, so they don't want to follow Matthew 18, but you're commanded to. And then you have the other person who's, a, who's a, just a, a gasket ready to explode. They're, they're willing to confront people, but they're too confrontational, and they don't know how to humble themselves. And then there's the person in the middle who goes, well, I don't really want to, it's not that I'm not too humble, it's not that, not, not that I'm too scared, and it's not that I'm confrontational, it's just the fact that honestly, I'm kind of lazy and I'm kind of weak at this area and I just don't want to deal with it, so I just avoid all of it. So there's really those three people. And which one and so don't fall into those those areas. Don't fall into those weaknesses. Don't fall into those pits because they're just gonna tear your church apart. And they're gonna tear your apart you apart, and it's never gonna learn to make you grow. So let's be unified as a body. That's the whole point of the, the church split anyway, is to unite the divided body and to talk about these issues that we're told not to talk about because it can cause conflict. Let's talk about it, but also learn how to deal with them personally in your church. You know what? If somebody disagrees with you on something, maybe it's okay. Maybe if somebody offended you, maybe it's okay. I would highly recommend also, because this definitely ties into other views and other doctrines I've taught about, I definitely recommend looking at my pastoral leadership video and also my individual soul liberty-ish video, because those two right there will also directly tie in with this topic, and you can kind of see how the balance approach works. So let me just challenge you with one final verse. Romans 15, 6, that together you may be with one voice, glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, you to, that together you may with one voice glorify God. That's the point here, to be, build together unity in one voice, with one body, with one Savior, and in one spirit.
So with that being said, my name is Will. Uh, please uh, tell me about what your thoughts are in the comments below. Like and subscribe to this channel. We're a slow growing channel. We got some cool things coming up right now. But until then, um, my name is Will and this has been The Church Split.